Let us pray. Father God, as we gather here this morning, we need your help. Lord, we need you to teach us what it means to be your children, what it means to be part of your family, what it means to be part of your kingdom. Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit would be here, that he would guide us. He would, he would open our hearts and our minds from what we need to hear from you today. God, teach us, lead us. We need, we need you. In your name, amen. About a year ago this weekend, it was actually a couple weeks ago, on October 8th, Mac and I found ourselves in need of a little bit of help. If you don't remember October 8th, let me, let me refra refresh your memory. That was the day that Hurricane Matthew forgot to turn, and he made landfall in Virginia Beach or somewhere close by. And as I'm lying in bed that night, somewhere around 2 o'clock in the morning, I hear a noise that I cannot figure out what it was. It didn't sound like the normal branches falling down or trash cans moving. It was different. And I looked out the window and I saw the scariest thing that I had ever seen. There was a tree headed for our house. After it hit our house, we ran back in our bedroom to make sure it was intact, and then we ran into the, into the garage. We didn't see anything in the garage. We ran into the attic of our garage, and this is what we found. It actually looks kind of cheery in the daylight. But with the wind howling and the rain pouring in, it was one of the scariest things that I have ever seen. A place that had been a place of safety for me was no longer safe. It had been compromised. And I remember standing in the attic, and we're trying to figure out what we're going to do. See, our house had been under construction, and so we were living in a small section of it. But 90% of our house was actually not operational, and everything we owned was in our garage. And so we're trying to keep it safe, and you can see there's a big blue tarp at the bottom of that picture, and so I'm standing there, and I'm like, well, maybe if we lay the tarp out, we can get, stop the rain from getting through and damaging anything else. Max says, no, we can't do that, because then all the rain's going to pool on the tarp, and then it's going to get heavy, and eventually the ceiling is going to cave in, and it's going to be worse than it would be otherwise. So the only way that we are going to stop the rain from coming in is if we get a tarp on the roof. And I'm standing there going, did I just hear my husband tell me that he is going to go on the roof with a tarp in the middle of a hurricane? He is going to fly away. I'm never going to see him again. I'm like, um, can I please call our friends Patty and Scott? I, mean, I need to call them. He's like, this is not their problem. We don't need to call them. I'm like, if you think you're getting on the roof, it is their problem. I need their help to keep you down here on the ground. He assures me that he never had any intention of getting on top of that roof. But I was so focused on the problem that I couldn't hear what he was saying, which was there's only one way to keep the rain out, and it's really not an option right now. And so we went downstairs into the garage, and I'm looking at where all our brand-new appliances are that are still wrapped in cardboard and plastic, and where the paintings that my grandmother painted, and our wedding pictures, and other photographs are. And, and pretty much, if it was irreplaceable, it was right under the tree. And we started moving boxes, because that was the only thing we do, is try to minimize the damage by getting out what we could. And then when we got to the appliances, we're trying to move them. I'm like, honey, we need some help. You and I cannot move a 300-pound oven by ourselves. We need some help. Can I please call Patty and Scott now? He said, yeah, you can call Patty. 
So I called at 2.30 in the morning. I have some amazing friends and neighbors, I need to tell you. At 2.30 in the morning, I'm calling not only Patty and Scott, but then I called every neighbor within walking distance who I thought might answer the phone and, who had our, and we had their phone number. And I said, we need your help. A tree fell on our house and there's rain coming in and we need to move things. And I'm amazed they could understand a word I said because I'm sure I was crying or speaking a million miles a minute. And they came, and in about an hour, we moved everything into either the construction zone or out of the way so that the loss of property was minimal. And in the days and weeks following that, friends would come by, and they would lend us help. When the storms of life hit us, when we are buffeted on every side, we cry out for help because we can't make it through. We live in a world where it is so easy to feel alone, where it is easy to feel isolated, where it is easy to feel like we carry the weight of the world on our shoulders and there is no one there to support us. When I was first watching Gravity, when it came out, we went to see it in theaters, there was part of me that was watching the peaceful floating in outer space thinking, you know what, when life is really busy, that might not be so bad. I mean, thousands of miles or something away from anyone, no phone calls, no emails, you can just be there, you can hear yourself think. There's something about solitude that is a wonderful thing. It brings rest, it brings relaxation, it gives us the chance, especially if you're an introvert, but even extroverts like myself, sometimes need to take a step back and recoup and hear ourselves think and gain power. Introverts And all of us at some point seek solitude for rest, rejuvenation, and strength. That's different than the kind of alone that we're talking about this morning. This kind of alone pushes us down. It tells us that we're not good enough, that we don't have the resources, that we're not smart enough, that we, we can't do it. It's those things that try to destroy us and pull us apart. When we feel alone, we still see all the obstacles and no solutions. Sandra Bullock's character in Gravity felt that way. She was stranded literally in the middle of nowhere. There was nothingness outside that space capsule, and she had no ability to get home. Everything she could think of was just an obstacle. And so her mind reached out in her desperate safe to one team member that might have the answers, and you saw the hallucination there as, as George Clooney came and they had that conversation that gave her the tools to get home. When we are alone and we are isolated, our minds and our bodies, our very being calls out for help, for community. This this week, if you're in my social network on Facebook, you notice that I I asked a question. I reached out because I wanted to hear stories and hear, hear where people have felt the most alone. And so I simply asked, when have you felt the most alone and isolated or alone and powerless? And people started to respond. There are stories of illness and crises. Stories of diagnoses that were too big to handle, especially the day that they were given. Stories of relational breakdown and toxic relationships. Stories of when people said, you know what, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to find it on my own. We live in a world where it is so easy to feel alone. One of my friends shared with me a story of how when his firstborn child was a year and a half, he watched helplessly 
as he had a seizure and turned blue in front of him. Child got to the hospital, and he's grown out of seizures now, so it's not a continuing issue. But in that first moment with your firstborn child, and there was nothing he could do to make it safe for his son, and he felt powerless and isolated in that moment. And so I think as we think about this, these feelings of alone and separation and isolation, the words from Ecclesiastes chapter 4 are especially poignant because they speak into this. The writer says this. He says, again, I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed. They have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors. They have no comforter. Sometimes in life we, we experience, especially in history and in other parts of the world, we experience the systematic oppression that comes from rulers and governments and things like that. But we, reality is we face oppression and feelings of oppression or that we are being squashed or defeated or attacked in other situations. It can be things like toxic relationships or abusive relationships. When people we trust suddenly take advantage of us. When sometimes it's self-inflicted, when the to-do list we create needs to fit in this much space. And we feel overwhelmed by the things that we have to get done. Sometimes that feeling of oppression or that those feelings from isolation or that we're being, we're being choked down or pushed down from, uh, from every side comes from something in us when we get sick or if you struggle with things like depression or mental illness, and it doesn't feel like there's a way out. Oppression is something that comes from the outside. It's those voices that tell us that we're not good enough, that we won't measure up, that we are somehow less than. And it takes so many forms, and it can feel like when you're in that space, it can feel like nobody sees your tears. Nobody sees your pain. And that can be especially difficult when you have tried to reach out and you've tried to tell your story and people don't listen or they don't take you seriously or they minimize your pain. Sometimes the reason we don't reach out in those spaces is because we're shared, if we share those weaknesses, if we talk about those broken places, that they will bring shame to us that it'll somehow confirm in other people's minds that we aren't strong or we aren't good or we aren't worthy. And so we keep that pain to ourselves. And the writer of Ecclesiastes says that he sees the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. They feel like they have no comforter. The lie of alone is that you are alone and that nobody cares, but it is a lie. The writer of Ecclesiastes continues and he says in verse 4, and I saw all the toil, I saw all toil and all achievements spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. When God created us, he gave us a very natural drive for achievement. It is something that is good and that is beautiful. Because it is through that drive for achievement that we better our community and we invest in our neighbors and other people by making new scientific studies, discoveries or medical advancements. This drive for achievement brings out new ideas and new relationships and new families. This drive for achievement carries us forward. We were designed by God to move forward, to progress. We weren't designed to be static. We were designed for growth and movement. 
where that drive for achievement gets turned on its head is instead of looking at it and utilizing it to lift up my community and invest in the people around me, I use it to further myself. We live in a culture that tells us that more is better, that bigger is better. And we get, have these pictures in front of us of what our lives should look like or, or what our bodies should look like or what our bank accounts should look like or what our jobs should look like. And if we, don't ha- if we aren't experiencing what those pictures are or if our relationships don't look like the ones we see on the movies or on TV or, or, or what we see on Facebook as people talk about these perfect relationships, we grow envious of the world around us and we start to try and get better. Not because we're trying to invest in people but because we're trying to measure up. And so we keep moving forward, and everything we're doing or a chunk of what we're doing, whether it's consciously or not, is because we're trying to keep up with the Joneses. And if we finally get there, if we finally get that job, or we have that family, or we we, we fit into that size, or whatever that drive is, that drive for perfection, there's an emptiness to it. Because instead of arriving at something that is fulfilling, instead of finding something that is in joy, we find that we have perhaps isolated ourselves. When our quest for achievement, when our trust, er, quest for progress is in something that does not build others up, we run the risk of walking over people to get to it, of pushing them down. And it's not something we always do intentionally. But sometimes the way we do it is instead of investing in relationships and the people around us, we walk past them to get to our goal. Our culture tells us if you want something done right, you need to do it yourself. Our culture tells us to look after number one. Our culture tells us to trust no one. Our culture tells us if you don't do it, nobody's going to do it. And it teaches us that we are islands and that we have to move forward by ourselves. It teaches us that there is power in alone. But the reality is, is that that puts us in a position of weakness. Because eventually when we go our own way for long enough, it might start subconsciously initially, but we find that we are alone. The writer of Ecclesiastes describes it this way in verse um, 8. He says, There was a man all alone. He had neither brother nor son, and there was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with all his wealth. We may achieve some of our goals, but when we go it alone, we allow those goals to isolate us and we don't invest in those relationships. When we arrive, when we look at our wealth, when we look at whatever it is, we are striving for. Maybe it's perfection, which is an elusive goal. It's never quite enough. We don't know what it means to be content. Thankfully, Ecclesiastes 4 doesn't end there. Because while it is easy to feel alone, while it is easy to feel isolated, the writer goes on to say, you are not alone. That you are not designed to be alone. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If any of them, no, let's stop there. If two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. When we partner with people around us to move forward, we all win. 
When we take our skills and our wisdom and we pass them on to the next generation, not only are we better for it, but they are better for it. When we looked at, our, at the people who are working alongside them, us and we don't see them as competitors or a measuring stick that we are trying to measure up with, we can both pull in the same direction and move forward. We need to work alongside each other. It's when we come together and we work together and we grow together that we see real strength. Alone t- the lie of alone is that we are more powerful alone. The truth is that together we are more powerful. He continues in verse 10 and says, If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help him up. At some point, each one of us is going to be buffeted by a storm. Sometimes the storms are small, sometimes they are gigantic. And it could be that we lose our balance. It could be that we are wounded. It could be that we fall. And in those moments, we need someone to come and say, I see you. I see you, I see your pain, and I am here. Sometimes it means coming alongside and physically helping them in some way and lifting them up through doing for them what they cannot do for themselves or giving them access to resources or support that they need. And sometimes it means quietly sitting beside them and sharing their grief. There's a woman by the name of Katie Jo Ramsey, and she wrote this week, or recently in Christianity Day, she says this, I know it sounds strange. Chronic health conditions bring pain, suffering, and frustration. Circumstances we feel powerless to control. My autoimmune disease continually forces me into a position of vulnerability before others, allowing others to see the powerlessness I would rather keep hidden. In the exposure of learning to receive love in my most broken places, I have found the deepest joy. One day, a friend stopped by after she finished work to say hello. As she sat next to me on the couch, all I could do was weep. I was drowning in the sorrow of uncertainty, worried my life would never improve, but she wordlessly comforted me by coexisting with my suffering. By letting her see me undone, I realized I was loved even in such a broken space, state. The simple joy of being received by my friend who refused to minimize my pain or try to fix me created new life in the midst of grief. Joy's coexistence with pain and vulnerability became part of my memory of that evening. Suffering internalized is dark and heavy, but suffering shared engenders courage and hope. From the first moments of life, just as we develop and survive in response to the relationships around us, so too do our brains. Social connections are so essential to human well-being that they actually share a neurological pathway with physical pain. You were not designed to be alone. We are not designed to be alone. God wired our brains so that we need the support of the people around us, especially when life is at its heaviest. We need those people who will see us when we are down and pull them up. And more so as the people of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to resist the, 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 the messages that we get to the world where I, alone is, is good, 
and where we push down others or walk over others to get to what we need, and we intentionally look for people we can pull up. We were called to more than alone. Not only can we help each other up when we fall, but he continues in verse 10, 11, 11, and he says, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? This isn't, um, this isn't a romantic image. If you're a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout or you're in the military, um, you, you, this one probably rings true for you. If you're traveling down a road, you need to make camp for the night, and if you've got limited supplies and you're cold, the best way to keep warm is with the body heat of the person sleeping next to you. And so you come alongside each other to share heat so that you can, in the cold places in life, you can stay warm. And in the same way, while we need that physical support of the people around us, we also need emotional support of the people around us. This is, a, this is an image of emotional support. There's a reason why when we are hurting, things get better when we talk with a trusted friend or loved one that we can trust with our brokenness. There's a reason why when we go to see a counselor who's able to help us work through whatever it is that we're dealing with that we get better because we need people to join us when we feel broken, when we feel cold. We need someone to come and help us get out of the cold by sharing their love and their grace and their mercy with us. In verse 12, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. The reality is each one of us is going to go through places in life, and maybe this is where you are right now today, where we feel buffeted on every side by the storms of life. And if we try to stand by ourselves, there are times where we may feel or we may be overpowered by those things that we cannot shoulder by ourselves. But when you have one person who comes and stands alongside you, it is far easier to stand. And when you have a person on either side of you, it is easier still to move forward. We are designed to need people because not only is it easy to feel alone and not only were we designed to be together, but when we are together, together wins. Together is stronger than alone. Together is more powerful than alone. Together is victory over alone. Together always wins when we are together with Christ. We don't come together on a Sunday morning because it's a great social engagement. We come together because we need to connect with God and we need to connect with each other. We need to hear the stories of victory over alone throughout our weeks. We need to celebrate with each other. We need to grieve alongside each other. We need to support each other. Scripture is full of images of what togetherness looks like. I sat down this week and I wrote down a couple of my favorites. In Matthew Jesus writes this, or says this. He says, wherever two or three gather in my name, there I am also. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God, from 1 Peter. You who were once far away have been brought near, in Ephesians. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. 
in Corinthians. Two of my favorite images of what togetherness looks like, what true community looks like, come out of the book of Revelation. In the first, John is standing in the throne room of the Lamb. He's standing in the throne room of the King, and as he looks out, he sees a great multitude that is too big to count. And it is made up of people of every tribe, nation, and tongue singing praises of God, saying, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, and worthy is the King. Things that cause division, things that cause isolation in our world right now are things that bring beauty and unity in eternity. We are designed to be together. And then in Revelation chapter 21, John writes this. He says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And then I heard a voice from around the throne saying, look, I am making everything new. There is coming a time when those things that buffet us, those things that tear us down, those things that tell us that we are less than, those things that tell us that we are no worthy, those things that cause us pain and sorrow and grief, and sadness will be not even a distant memory. They will just be gone. Sin has been defeated, and we look forward to that time, and there is something in each of us that says, Lord Jesus, come soon. I dream of a place where it is safe for my kids. I dream for a place where it is safe for me. I dream of a place where we can be together in true unity and true, um, true togetherness and true community. And there's an aspect of what is pictured in Scripture that we will not see until we are in eternity. While sin has been defeated and we enjoy grace and we enjoy forgiveness and reconciliation with God, the reality is we still struggle with it every day and we are imperfect people. And so pain still exists. But when the people of God come together and they say, together, is victory over alone, that when we come together in the name of Jesus Christ, we have victory over those things that cause pain. We get a glimpse of that and what is to come. And so it means dealing with those things that separate us and having those hard conversations when we need to so that we can reconcile with the people around us. It means that being intentional about not walking past people to get to where we are going. Sometimes if you, if you happen to be wired as a project person or a task person, it can be really easy to focus on the tasks that you need to get done and accidentally and unintentionally walk past people around you. But we need to have the eyes and the ears and the heart of Jesus himself and look for those people who are unseen and say, I see you, and I'm going to sit beside you, and I'm going to coexist with you in your grief, or I see you, and I hear you, and I have something that can help. When we are alone, when we suffer in silence, 
it is dark and it is heavy, but when we bring our suffering, when we bring our challenges, when we bring those broken places in our life into a community that values health, that values Christ and is actually looking to reconcile those wounds and bring healing, we start to heal ourselves and we learn trust. We learn how to move forward. Friends, we are brothers and sisters. We may have different parents, we may have different backgrounds, we may look differently, we may have different goals, but you and I are brothers and sisters, and every single one of us is called to bring the love that we share in our family, the love of God, to a world that so desperately needs to experience it. So that those who are hurting no longer feel alone. And we don't have the, the words of Ecclesiastes ringing in our heads saying, I see the tears in their press and they have no comforter. We are their comforters. We are called as brothers and sisters when we are hurting to share those pains with people that we trust and people who love us even in those broken places so that we can experience God's joy in the midst of that pain and the freedom from shame that so often comes when we're hurting. Friends, we don't come to church because it's a social engagement. We come to church because we desperately need to connect with God. We desperately need to connect with other members of our family and share the joy of what God has done in the past week and share our pain, share our hopes and our dreams and come together and build relationships. Sometimes it's messy and it's not always perfect. It's probably never perfect because none of us are perfect but we are called to be together because together always wins. When we work, if we want to build our relationship with God, if we want to grow in our faith, we need to do it by working on our horizontal relationships, the relationships with the people around us and coming together. Every ministry in this church is built on the, the reality that we need to come together. So whether you connect in faith and life or women's ministry or men's ministry or kids' ministry or student ministry, or any of our ministries, we, we, these exist because we believe that we are better together, that we are stronger together, and that God blesses us as we come together and we invest in the people around us and we grow together and ask our questions together. One of the things that has been most influential in my own growth and my own sometimes sanity, depending on my week, is my small group. They are my family. I love them. The last couple, the, I, I finally was able to join them this past Friday because there was a couple weeks that I couldn't go and I was so desperate to get back to them because they're my family. I can be just me. I don't have to be on. I can come with my questions or my comments. We, we, when, we when we meet together, we wrestle with things of faith and life and we try to bring them together and understand what God is calling us to do in this midst. Small groups have been a powerful thing throughout my life. And I'm really excited because we have two men who have, uh, Jim Schmidt and Mike Strzok, who have stood up uh, and they're taking on ownership of small groups. And so if you want to be a member of a small group, if you want to engage and find a way to make big church small, I want to invite you just to sign the card. You were given a card when you came in. Just fill the card out and then take it. There's a table in the lobby and give it to Lori and Solvik and um, we will take care of you and find a way to get you plugged in. Small groups are an amazing way to grow. 
The other thing that we have coming up here soon is merge. Merge is going to be an opportunity again for us to come together, to merge our lives, our passions, our gifts, to learn alongside each other, to enjoy some amazing food together, to serve alongside each other and get better at what God calls us to do in ministry and life. So if you serve at Spring Branch in any capacity, or if you want to get engaged, if you want to be serving, come to Merge. It's going to be an amazing morning. We're going to um, spend some time talking about building a community where we are together, where relationships bloom and grow, and how, where how each story is part of that. It's going to be something that will enrich not only your ministry life, but your own life. Um, and your personal life with your family or in your job. It's going to be a great morning. So if you have not signed up already, you can go to the connection desk and sign up at a thing there or go to the website and sign up. Uh, it is going to be an amazing morning. And we need to know, it's free, but we need to know you're coming for some of the stuff that we're planning. Friends, we live in a world that tries to break us down, that will inflict pain, that will separate us, that will isolate us if we let it but you are not alone. You are not alone. No matter what the lies of al that alone tells you, you are not alone, and you were not designed to be alone. When we come together, we realize that together is powerful. We realize that in together we find strength that we did not have ourselves. Because when we come together in Christ, Together is victory over alone. Sometimes it's messy and it's never perfect. But when we come together, focused on the, sol the, the goal of growing into the people, into the men and women that God has called us to be, when we come together with that purpose and we build relationships and we look for the people around us who are unseen with that purpose, together always wins. Let's pray. Father God, sometimes, sometimes life is really difficult. Sometimes we feel like the storms of our world will overpower us. Sometimes it seems like all the power is in the hands of the oppressors and that there is no one to comfort those who are grieving and those who are weak, those who have been knocked down. God, I thank you that you have not designed us to be alone and that we are with you, that you are always present, that you are our ever-present help in time of need. And Lord, I thank you that you have built us to be in a community and that you call your church, you call your kingdom to bring your presence into a world that desperately needs it. God, I ask that you would give us the courage that it takes to conquer the lies of alone, to come together in strength and in victory over alone because of who you are and what you have done. God, I ask that the power of the Holy Spirit would rest on us, that you would give us the eyes to see, to really see the people around us, and that they would then know who we are because of how we love them and how we interact with the world. And Lord, for those who are here this morning who are hurting, Lord, for those who desperately need your touch, Lord, I ask that you would show them the people that they can be real with. 
God, bring to them people to support them. Show us how we can be holding, lifting each other up and supporting them. God, we thank you for your truth that we are never alone in you. And it is through you that we have the power to stand against the, buffet, the winds and the waves and the storms that come against us. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within each of us, to him be the glory and the power in the church and in all the generations forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>